Hey guys, welcome back to Missing Out Mondays, where we tell you what we're into. Start your week off right. I'm Tari J. I am Lex Michael. And this Monday, we are joined by good, good, best friend in the whole wide world, Frank Moran. Holy cow, I got a promotion. Hell yeah. <laughs> I went from acquaintance to best friend in mere seconds. You were never an acquaintance. The you were thing always is, in here. You got you got that bump, which means somebody else was passed over. So I would watch your back. I would Uh-oh. sleep with both eyes open. I would sleep with your third eye open. Make sure all your chakras are balanced to become yeah, the most stay woke. effective defensive <laughs> killing machine possible. Hey, Frank. Hey, Lex. <laughs> uh, Frank is going to be joining us tomorrow for our main show. But this week, we really want to know, what are you into? You, uh, you know what I'm into? And, and certainly, I love comics. That's this little sneak peek about what I may be talking about tomorrow. But let's not talk about comics, guys. Let's talk about a great show on Fox. Okay. MasterChef. Oh. Oh, man. It is back for another season, guys. Season 10, bigger than ever. <laughs> I am so in the tank for the show. Uh, hosted by Gordon Ramsay. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm always I'm in the tank for anything Gordon Ramsay does. I will check it out. Uh, then you've got Joe Bastianich, who's one of my favorite judges there on MasterChef. He's a, uh, a restaurateur. Worked with Mario Batali a lot. He opened up the Italy's that you see in various places. Okay. Uh, I think he is, you know, of course, distanced himself then, I believe, from Mr. Uh, Mario Batali after all the incidents that he had. And then you've got Ooh. Aron Sanchez. Who you may know from the Food Network, he had his own show where he would go around eating really hot things, and I always liked it because it would always just be, "I'm going to this place, I'm eating something really hot," and then all his reaction would be like, "Woo!" And that's all it would be. That. It'd be that for a 30 minute show. I'm going to this place, eat something hot, woo! And then he'd leave and go do something else. This so genuinely sounds like exactly my kind of programming. Yes. So all it is is they're trying to find the best home cook in America. They get everybody around. They narrow it down to, uh, I believe, tw- our top 20 contestants. And then they just start whittling away until they get to the number one master chef at the end of this at the end of the summer. So it's second episode just aired last week. Uh, so coming up, when this comes out, it'll be episode three. It'll be coming out. So perfect time to still get in and enjoy the rest of the season. Nice. Uh, I'm a I'm a sucker for it. Will I understand this season if I have not seen seasons <laughs> one through nine? Yeah, you will. It, it, of course, it is. How, uh, how like, deep is the lore? It, uh, it basically it's the same kind of culinary competition. They're just going to give them a series of challenges. Uh, the first one they'll do uh, one challenge that whoever wins will give them some advantage coming up into the elimination challenge. They'll get immunity from the elimination challenge, and then they get to more often than not decide what. The rest of the chefs will be cooking for this elimination challenge, and then somebody gets uh, eliminated. They, you know, but I, they always say like at least one, maybe more, but they never do more. It's always just one. Mm. Just one <laughs> so, yeah, that's a spoiler, guys. If you see like Gordon Ramsay say, and possibly one or more judges uh, contestants could go, it'll just be one, guys. Oh, I mean, <clears throat> do the people who are eliminated or person who's eliminated become the dish for the next week? Yeah, they. Yep, they. Uh, they are served up. Yeah, they become the the, the your your main ingredient that you've got to use. Yeah, yeah. Like at so, the end of every show, as the credits roll, you see and like you have to squint because the credits are rolling over it. But the losing contestant being dragged <laughs> off by a couple of big dudes going no, no. Yeah, um, and their their sign off is you're about to be served, and that's <laughs> that's what initiates the credits and the dragging <laughs> sequence. I mean, you've got Joe Bastianich. He gives the best stink eye in the business if you're in a cooking competition show and you're wondering if your dish, ta- dish tastes good or not. He will come up and he'll bite it and he will just give you this this vacant 
dead look inside. It's like, who do you think you are? To Wait, come into my oh, well, like, but I could do that. Yeah, well, well, do it. Yeah, and what's then become a restaurant tour. I'm, I'm coming for y'all. What's his name again? Joe Bastianich. I'm coming for y'all, Joe Bastianich. That's you better right. sleep with your third eye open. Man, holy cow! A lot of people you know, have to be fearful for their life after this. Uh, <laughs> you know, he just he he just threatens. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> all all bark. <laughs> but see, I'm excited because Joe no left uh, for a few seasons, so okay. he finally came back last season and then this season, and the show is. Improved immeasurably by having him part of the judges panel. So, Aron is fine. You know, I mean, you come there for Gordon Ramsay for his culinary knowledge and his excellence. Joe Bastianich just gives just these. He just hates everybody. He, you, yeah. So to get a compliment out of him, you know, you've done something right. Okay. Nice. Yeah. So it's well worth it if you love. I mean, there's you know the formulaic parts that come in any sort of competition format. So, you know, forget those aside. Just enjoy the personalities of the three people. And then there'll be those chefs that you get to know along the way that you'll, that'll either drive you crazy or you find yourself rooting for. Mm-hmm. Will they make it to the end? Who knows? You got to watch the summer and find out. Ooh, that's a good tease. Yeah. Lex, what are you into? Uh, so this week I watched all six episodes of I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson on Netflix. <laughs> I just got into that. You just got into it. Yes. Okay, Frank, have I you seen it? The first Two or three episodes. Okay, so I watched all six, and you can get through it really quick. It's only six yeah. episodes. They're mm-hmm. all under 20 minutes. Um, it, hard to go into too much detail without spoiling specific, I don't even know if you could call them jokes necessarily, but moments. Yeah. And of course, it, it's, comedy, as you know, is all about subversion of expectation. Mm-hmm. And if we're talking subversion of expectation, Tari, you know, we've talked uh, frequently uh, on this show about my sense of humor and how the things that tend to make me laugh the hardest are the things that, if comedy subversion of expectation, catch me the most off guard. Yeah. Which means usually it's got to be something that while I'm laughing is making me go, holy shit. And this is a perfect, this show is a perfect storm of elements that I find both deeply hilarious and profoundly upsetting. Yes. And that that's... That's the sweet spot for me, whereas even if it's not objectively funny, the fact that they'll occasionally take a hard pivot into a genuinely upsetting place, I'm I'm sitting there, I'm dying, I'm doubled over. Like, I feel like I have not watched, I'm not a big, when I sit and I watch something by myself, even if I think it's genuinely funny, I don't tend to laugh out loud. I'll, I'll be feeling it internally. I'll be like, that was genuinely funny. I'm feeling it. It is bringing me happiness and laughter, but it's all internal. And this was a show I'd be, I'd be sitting there watching it by myself at two in the morning, just cackling out loud or literally going, holy shit. Um, there is a, uh, it's so difficult to talk about it with any specificity. There's a bit in the final episode, the last bit they do involving a Garfield house. Yes. That is one of my favorite pieces of comedy that I have seen probably in the past several years. It's it's hilarious. You can get through it very, very quickly. It's, like I keep saying, it's hilarious, but also profoundly upsetting in places. Yeah. Um, if that sounds like it might appeal to you, <laughs> I feel like you'll get a lot out of it. I uh, was turned on to it by a, a good friend of mine who watched it probably it sounds like a good two or three times in the span of a couple of days, the entire thing mm-hmm. and has been quoting it uh, near incessantly since he started watching it. And so I finally went, you know what I can get? I didn't realize there was so little of it. I went, okay, I can get into this, get through it in a day or two. It's, it's a ride. Yeah. 
They're, so they're like 17 minute episodes. It's sketch comedy, basically, though, like kind of what you were pointing at that, like towards the latter half of the season, they start doing and or maybe I didn't notice it until uh, I started getting deeper in. But like their like opening bits start to kind of bleed into their later bits, which uh, becomes really interesting because it, it almost at that point gets kind of like Mr. Show, Bob and David esque. Yeah. Um, but I also like that. And, and I think it's been stated that they the kind of thesis statement of the show is that it is a bunch of people committing so hard yep. to things um, to the point where um, no, they, you, they will do anything to not be proven wrong in any given moment. Yes. Um, and and part of where a lot of the more upsetting aspects of these sketches come in is how committed they are to this bit and how committed they are to the premise. And so they're constantly, like you say, like they're constantly doubling, tripling, quadrupling down so as not to admit uh, fault, for example. Right. Um, and it just it goes to some truly, truly dark spots. Oh, yeah. There's a one where it's at the, the guy's birthday party that just... With goes, the Steven Yeun. Yes. yes. It just goes so wrong. And you're like, oh. and that's a great example of just like doubling down on all of this. You're like, wow, this poor guy. <laughs> uh, um, the one that I still like, I, I had to rewatch earlier today um, is in episode four, I believe. It's the hunk if you're horny sketch. <laughs> I, I find myself like I will be doing something unrelated and just I will think back to it. And I'm even like beginning to laugh right now because it just that gets me. It's it's the ultimate epitome of my humor. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I get it. Yeah. The first the first episode, uh, first episode, and the last episode, I think, are my favorites. And the first episode, there's a sketch involving essentially it's like a baby. Yes. pageant. I was, yes. yes. There was a point and I won't I won't give it away because I don't want to oversell the moment. But there's a moment. Oh, fuck it. When they reveal the name of the doctor, that's when my drink went into my eye. <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, it's it's uh, it's great. I genuinely hope we get more of the show because it's one of the funnier things that I have seen in recent memory. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean to see, I mean, the struggles that he had on Saturday Night Live and then he gets to do Detroiters and then finally this and finally to see people like, yeah, we like what you're doing. That is great, given the, the struggles that he had early out with SNL. Yeah, we, we need to figure out what Chunky's deal is, is now going to be my mantra, I think. <laughs> There's another sketch in the last, the last, uh, the final episode essentially involving, it's a game show, and they have a, a mascot that will come and mess with contestants in a certain way if they, if they pick the wrong the wrong card right. essentially but the the mascot is very much they're not clear on what the shtick is supposed to be at all and it's profoundly <laughs> profoundly uncomfortable yes because <laughs> um, it reminds me of the the Japanese mascots but like a more vicious version of it um, it's great Anyway, it's a great show. So that's that's what I've been watching. That and also uh, we talked about it uh, a handful of weeks ago. But I am finally uh, watching Barry, 
and I'm halfway through the second season and I'm bringing it up. I thought I wasn't going to bring it up because Tari, you already talked about it, but I will say, and I said this to you off mic, guys, if you have not watched Barry, holy crap, watch Barry, uh, especially given that Bill Hader not only stars in it, co-created it, writes a good chunk of it with his, with his creative partner and also directed a bunch of them. It's staggeringly impressive, so much so that I sat there the entire time feeling like a dumb asshole because it is that good. It is so good, and it is so good that it almost makes you feel bad about yourself with <laughs> with how good it is. And that's it. Also, yes, uh, no ho Hank rules. Yes. Um, yeah. W- uh, have you gotten to season two, episode four? That's the the most recent one I watched where okay. no spoilers, but where uh, they're building one. It seems very much like they're building a plot and character arc in a certain direction. And at the end of the episode, the rug gets pulled out from under Barry and, and it's, it's, it expresses surprise. And that's where I'm at in the season, the halfway point in the season. Okay. Because, um, yeah, I, I believe it's that one or episode five that is written, directed um, by Bill Hader, which could effectively be its own like standalone thing. Like you could watch it outside the context of the show and still like get a lot of joy out of it. Um, I mean, having the context of a show really enhances it, but also just in and of itself, it's the weirdest episode of the whole show. And it's so good. Uh, That's it. And it's the next one I got. So I'll probably be watching that tonight. But the other thing I will say is if you have ever taken an acting class in Los Angeles, holy shit, is this show painfully real yeah like it hurts how real it is <laughs> um pivoting really hard away from comedy i'm into chernobyl i just watched the whole thing i watched chernobyl too and i thought about bringing that up so i'm glad you did yeah it hurts like i couldn't watch the whole first episode in one sitting um if you're unfamiliar with chernobyl um it is the it is a I, I hate to call it like a dramatization, um, but it's like a, a retelling featured on uh, on HBO uh, about the events of Chernobyl. Uh, and it, it goes in stark detail and it's gruesome. And you really get a sense of like the horrors of what took place when the reactor exploded um, and all of the, the politics and the bureaucracy that everyone who was trying to help had to deal with. Um, and it, it's, it's hard to watch. It's devastating. And obviously on one level, right, you have, you have the, the immediate visceral devastation of seeing the impact of that reactor explosion and seeing all of the people that are directly impacted by it, what happens to their bodies. And they, they depict it in pretty in pretty horrifying detail. Right. But then also the circumstances under which, you know, we know that we're going to have to essentially let some people die to try and mitigate this in any way. But what becomes even more upsetting and what what's what makes the things that are upsetting already doubly so is how so much of what happened seems to be directly the result of not just mechanical failure, but institutional and bureaucratic failure as well. Mm-hmm. And and uh the the addition of ego and pettiness and obfuscation and lies into the mix, right? It's it's a perfect storm of mechanical and human failing. And it's the fact that 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 human factor is so unnecessary. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's also so common. And that's that's just as big a cause of what happened as anything else. And that to me makes it all the more upsetting because once the reactor explodes all of the horrific things that happen are to an extent inevitable right but 
these human choices were not inevitable. There were choices that were made before it happened that led to it happening, and there were choices made after it happened that led to the situation being far more catastrophic than it might have been otherwise. And holy shit, does that make it an even tougher watch than it would have been. Oh, yeah. Um, also, shout out to Emily Watson. Yes. Um, she is playing a character who is essentially an amalgam of hundreds of scientists who helped to try to piece together what happened in Chernobyl. And so they boiled down a lot of that into her character. And one, I'm really glad that they made that character a woman. Um, and two, she kills it. Um, so I really wanted to specifically call out her and her acting and her role in the whole uh, show. Yes, agreed completely. And of course, the other two leads, uh, Jared Harris and Stellan Skarsgård, also doing really incredible work. Yeah. And I, I listened to an interview. HBO did a great uh, companion podcast uh, with uh, creator, writer Craig Mazin, and they were talking about there are no Russian accents in it. Uh, pretty, it seems like just about everybody's played by uh, a Brit, or I know uh, Stellan Skarsgård is uh, Swedish, I believe. Right. Or Norwegian, Swedish? Yeah, something. <laughs> what is he's <laughs> yeah. he's a guy. He exists. Uh, but they made a decision at a certain point not to go with Russian accents because uh, Craig Mason was talking about like you know we all grew up with Boris and Natasha and because of that it's like if we're if we're doing the accents it, it, there's a chance it's going to become too comedic too quickly so they jettisoned that idea. But I also want to shout out Craig Mason and what a, a truly incredible job he did with this show, and also just how dang interesting his filmography is uh, do, do you know uh, can you rattle off some of Craig Mazin's other credits because I can no go ahead <laughs> uh, let's see screenwriting credits on scary movie three and four superhero movie a couple of the hangovers uh, so okay. so the wow. yeah so going from that to and I don't really have any I haven't seen a lot of the movies he's written uh, I know them by reputation as you may as well. Yes, yeah, Scary Movie 3 is great. But the it's best in, one. It's, it's, isn't that the one where like the aliens pee through their fingers? Probably. Something it's, like... It's the best one according to white people. <laughs> great. Huh. <laughs> is that's, that true? That's the feedback I've gotten. <laughs> is that true? Yeah. <laughs> All right. But anyway, Craig Mazin, writer on that one. But it's, it's incredible looking at his filmography. There is nothing that... Uh, you would see in the finished product or, or knowing what you know about some of those movies that would lead you to think this dude's got something like this in him, which I think, uh, A, it's proof, it's proof positive to me. You don't necessarily know what somebody's capable of based on their, uh, the perception of their output, especially in the entertainment business. But it's, it's just incredible to see that, that that type of movie could be the bulk of somebody's filmography. And then all of a sudden they pivot and they give you something like this. And I think Chernobyl is one of the most, uh, uh, yes, devastating, but it's so devastating because it is the, one of the most well-constructed, um, I think, uh, masterful pieces of TV writing that I've seen certainly in the last several years. And it's really incredible. And it's so, to Mason's credit, that it comes from the same guy. Yeah. So, guys, watch Chernobyl. Watch everything. Watch MasterChef. Uh, watch what did you talk about <laughs> <laughs> I think you should no, leave I think you should with leave Tim Robinson and, and of course Barry. Barry yes um, cool and also let us know what you're into uh, you can do so at Missing Outcast M-I-S-S-I-N-G O-U-T-C-A-S-T and if you uh, tune in tomorrow we're going to be talking about the ultimate crossover of DC and Marvel Justice League America slash Avengers <laughs> Uh, that's what it's called. You have to say the slash. That you have to yeah. say it. Or it doesn't count. And right. you sound like a 
dumb <laughs> idiot, dumb person, dummy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, why it wasn't called JL Avengers, I will never know. JL Avengers. JL Avengers. Yeah. Didn't that person, didn't, didn't JL Avengers play uh, Steve Urkel? That's a stupid joke. <laughs> Uh, anyways, um, so <laughs> join barely, us. it's barely even a joke. Like I, I think I get it, but it doesn't it's, sound enough like Jaleel White to not be <laughs> nonsense. All jokes are nonsense. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, join us tomorrow when we're gonna break it down. We're gonna talk about it. It's it's fun. It's great. Um, Frank is gonna be joining us. Uh, Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're like hell yeah. Where can we talk to this guy until then? Uh, happy go jack me on those Twitter grams, everybody. Uh, stay, tune in tomorrow for the really boring story behind that Twitter handle. We get, yeah. the, we get the origin. But you got to wait until the end. Yeah. We're not going to tell you at the beginning. You got to <laughs> wait. Um, but what about you, Lex? Where can people find you? I am on Twitter and Instagram at the Lex Michael. Awesome. And you can find me at Tari J, T E R I J A Y. So make sure to join us tomorrow. It's going to be so fun. Until then, see you later.